When I got married, I told my husband, it may take us a year or two. It didn't occur to me that it could even take as long as it did. Fertility rates had fallen dramatically. Many countries are now on the verge of a baby bust. Infertility is extremely common. There are over 7 million people in the country who are experiencing infertility. These are doctors. We believe what doctors tell us. Infertility is considered a disease, and many of these couples don't know what to do or where to turn. This is a doctor that holds my happiness in his hands. I'm Danny, and turns out trying to get pregnant isn't easy. And I should know, after two long years of serious hard work and a lot of effort, I'm trying and pretty much failing at 34. And I'm Simone, a midwife who has branched out into the world of fertility. I've seen and learnt a lot, massive highs and tragic lows. But generally, I carry the baton of optimism and realism. I want to share what I can to help people who are experiencing issues now. Welcome to the Mission Baby podcast. Hello, we're back. Yes, it's another episode of Mission Baby. And quite a special one at that. Yes, it's our 10th episode and a particularly bittersweet one as it's our last in this series. Not only that, but we're recording this in the middle of the pandemic. So it's the first time we actually haven't been together. Yeah, thank goodness for technology and our producer, David. So there is light coming out of this tunnel. In fact, the best news that we've heard recently is that fertility clinics and procedures, which have been critically impacted during this awful time, are now starting to reopen, which is incredible news for everyone going through infertility. Simone, how has it been for you on the front line? It's been kind of great and strange and terrible all at the same time. So when the news first dropped, it was really awful because we had to stop people there and then. We didn't know how long it was going to last. So in all honesty, a month to two months for most people isn't going to be a major deal. So my role was just to calm everybody down. But then I've had some amazing experiences. I've been working back in midwifery. So I was on the postnatal ward, which was great. And the icing on the cake was meeting people who'd come through for treatment, you know, after they had their babies. So, um, yeah, it was fantastic. Really, I was, yeah, I kind of got the bug again and considering my future options. That's very exciting. And I can imagine you were a source of calm for all those patients either who just started or were about to start, you know, a round of IVF or any sort of treatment. It must have been really crushing to get that news to hear that they had to stop. It was. Yes, treatment has stopped, but it doesn't mean the end of all possibility for most people. You know, it was only, unfortunately, those people who maybe were diagnosed with cancer and who had to do the treatment before their chemo started. For people like that, awful. But for the majority of people, it wasn't the end. And nobody's AMH level or egg level was going to disappear. Even if it had lasted for six months to a year, no one's chances are just going to dissolve overnight. Yeah, you're right. I was reading a lot about women and men worried that however long this lockdown was going to last or whether it was a month, two months, three months or onwards, that it was going to have a real effect on their fertility levels. But actually, as you just said, it really doesn't in the whole grand scheme of things. A couple of months out stopping treatment will not have a huge impact on your overall success rates. Is that true? Exactly. And, you know, it goes back to the basics, which... We started talking about Danny in our very first episodes, but it was a chance to get yourself, your body, your mind 
into the perfect place for your treatment. You know, it was a chance to say, right, okay, do I need to do anything with my weight? Can I put some more vitamins on board? And a lot of these things, we don't have, you know, loads of research for them, but reading up on stuff that may help with your treatment. Um, And ultimately, now we know it was only a couple of months. But my argument at the time was, even if it's a year, it's not going to make a massive difference on your chances. Yeah. So uh, happy days. Yeah, it is. Happy days. We're open again. Like most clinics, we're just trying to manage the process of getting those people in first who we had to cancel. And we've had to answer a a massive 49 points of how we're going to keep everyone safe from the HFEA. So the HFEA gave us uh, challenges and every clinic had to jump to those challenges. And it's really about slowing everything down. Nobody can be in the clinic or the hospital doing the treatment at the same time, uh, which is a real shame because no one gets that chance to maybe bond with someone else. It's basically slowing everything down. We have to ask questions before they come in. We have to ask questions when they come in. They have to let us know if at any point, even if they have a crackly throat during their treatment. And so it's just trying to keep everyone safe during this crazy time. And what's going to happen with support groups? Because obviously, you know, for us and for you in particular, you know, who started our support group, it was such and still is a lifeline for many women. Like, how do you envisage it going ahead? What do you think is going to be the new normal, as everyone's saying? Is it going to be remote? Is it going to be kind of virtual groups? Or um, do you think that we'll eventually be able to all sit in a room together and chat through what we're going through? Who knew that that would be such a luxury, Danny? I keep asking the question, but where I'm based now is in a hospital. The basic line is we have to keep footfall to an absolute minimum. So even if we were going to use a massive room, we're still inviting more people into the hospital, which is a no-no. In terms of virtual groups, we're looking at the technology and we're saying, is it really safe? So we can't guarantee confidentiality Microsoft Teams or a Zoom or a WhatsApp, we we can't. So that's the big issue at the moment. I think the powers that be, their thinking is basically, we've got bigger fish to fry right now. Let's get the treatment rolling. And then we'll add that in when we can breathe a bit. Because I think everyone's had loads of sort of challenges and things to work out and changes to make because of COVID. Back to this episode, Um, those who follow us know that we always have an expert with us to discuss any areas of infertility or their experience and the advice they give. However, there is a reason why we don't have a guest this week. Well, we sort of have a guest in a way. Yes, and be warned, I might cry at this point. I'm very emotional, but... I'm finally pregnant. (laughs) Wow, Danny, Danny, I just remember (laughs) the back then. The planets alive. My gosh, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm good. I'm well, I'm four weeks away from my due date. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster and a ride. Well, Simone, you were pretty much one of the first people we told like an hour after we got the news from the clinic that our embryo transfer had work and we'd done the two-week wait. I went in for a blood test in the morning. You have to wait an agonizing few hours for the test to go to the lab and then get your results back. And then the clinic called me with great news. So we literally were completely in shock, crying, through all the emotions. 
And I did my first ever pregnancy test where I got my first ever positive result. And that was a huge moment for me because oh I'd never, gosh. ever had a positive result. And I had to do like three in one go because it was just like, I, I just couldn't, didn't believe it at all. <laughs> it's been an incredible journey and you've been such an important part of it. You've been there for all the highs and the lows and the biggest high you were there for on the phone. So it was, it was a pretty special moment. After you get that positive result, it's almost like the emotion changes to one of immense worry, right? So you've been through all this and it's a case of, so you should be really, really happy. But what if, what if, what if, what if? And I think you get that result before the 12 weeks. So I think getting up to that 12 weeks is a bit of a relief, but not everything. It is hard. And we... At six weeks, we had a bit of a scare and woke up one morning. I was bleeding and I just thought of the worst. I literally thought, this is it. I've miscarried. I didn't know what to do. And I I know I messaged you and you called me straight away because I I didn't know what to do. My husband had just literally gone to work and I was bleeding quite heavily and I just the very worst. And so I went straight in the clinic. And ironically, that day was when I was supposed to have my first early internal scan. And it was the worst car journey I've ever done where we've sat in the car and just not spoken because we just thought, well, we're about to be told the inevitable. And we got into the clinic. And even as I hopped onto the bed, I was still bleeding quite heavily. The staff, you know, as you you know, there, they were incredibly calm, very sweet and soothing. Whereas I was a complete mess. <laughs> the scan happened. Suddenly our consultant was like, no, no, everything's fine. There's a heartbeat. It's all good. And it turned out it was a hematoma from the procedure itself. So probably from egg collection. And it just hadn't come away from my uterus. So the relief was incredible. But as you say, you just constantly worry. You know, those 12, first 12 weeks are a little dicey because everything is so new and so fresh and there is a lot of worry then each time you get through the next part you worry them more (laughs) this isn't really said very much but we do know that the majority of IVF pregnancies there will be early pregnancy bleeding it's never 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 saying if you bleed in pregnancy it's okay that's never the thing and sometimes Mm. we do scan and unfortunately we see a blighted ovum or we see the pregnancy not progressing because we know that you can bleed and still be okay. As we were doing the podcast and I was doing each episode, I was going through treatment in real time. So we got all the eggs, we did ICSI, as I've mentioned before, and we had five embryos frozen. And then we decided to take a break and do a frozen embryo transfer on the recommendation from our consultant and the fact that actually I wanted some time to get the hormones, as much of it out of my system as possible and kind of just get a bit of a balance to my body. And also just to go away, we wanted to go on a holiday and just let my body sort of go back to a little bit of normality after all the hormones. And then we got back from holiday We scheduled in a time for me to have the embryo transfer. We had hoped that my husband would have been around and he was supposed to be around, but he had to go to the States for business. But my body just wasn't ready. But it just shows that I actually don't even need a man anymore. Oh, (laughs) you so do, honestly. Yeah, so I had the transfer by myself. I had one of my very good friends, my best friend, take me there. And and I had um, 
acupuncture before and after as you know that I'm really big with acupuncture and we had the wonderful Ivka we've spoken to previously and she did my acupuncture she warmed my stomach up with warm LED lamps and really calmed me down before because it's a big deal it's a big thing and it's just making your body as calm as possible really I had all my acupuncture before so I had about a kind of half an hour session before and then um, and then I got taken into theatre and in theatre, they um, put your the embryo that they decide is the best graded embryo that they're going to pop in on a big screen. So I was looking at this little circle thinking, is this it? Am I going to meet you soon? So there the little embryo was on the screen waiting for me to put inside. And it's a very short procedure, as you know. It's pretty much like a smear test. It's, I would say, probably, what, 15, 20 minutes. And then it was done. You can hop off the bed straight away. It's not going to fall out, as people think. (laughs) Um, And then I went straight back into acupuncture for another half an hour just to kind of get all the blood moving, Another, put some warm lamps um, on my um, stomach just to kind of keep everything warm because it's really important, Simone, isn't it, post-transfer to keep yourself warm, especially your feet, isn't it? Yeah, do you know, there's so many points from what you've just said. On the day of transfer, especially for a frozen transfer, you really need trust. And I think we said back a few episodes ago, unless you have complete trust with the place you're having treatment, you're really onto a loser. Because until that embryo is thawed on that day, the embryologist, the doctors, they will not know the grade of that embryo, whether it's going to survive the thaw. Usually it's a good embryo to have been frozen, but they can't guarantee that it's going to defrost and do what it's supposed to, okay? So the reason I talk about trust is that I know some people kind of lose themselves at that point and they say, well, the clinic said it was a really good embryo, that's why they froze it, and then it just didn't survive and that's a very real thing. And you'll get over that a lot more easily if you have trust in where you're having your treatment. If you're already doubting where you're having treatment, you're going to go off the boil and you're going to believe that the clinic did something wrong. I'm just highlighting that that can be a really ropey point. And and you, you might have one embryo that defrosts perfectly and maybe another embryo that doesn't defrost perfectly from exactly the same batch, so to speak. The trust aspect is so key and that's why I felt so fine going in on my own because I trusted the clinic that I have been with throughout and I trusted the people and I knew everyone because I'm lucky in the fact that my clinic is very small and sort of almost a bespoke service like a very personalized service on the day I was actually the only patient in and it just felt very supportive and I think that was key like I did not worry the fact that I was on my own doing this at all so much they were so happy to show me videos of the dethawing of the embryo after I'd had the procedure Um, and I went into the lab and I took some pictures and and they were just so great so I, I do think the trust is a huge huge part of it because as soon as you lose that trust you start physically tensing and your mind goes and you get upset and that is not conducive to a happy environment to then place your embryo in. I was going to mention we're obviously COVID period. We've got many services back but we don't have acupuncturists back. We're starting to do treatments again. Those people who do choose to have acupuncture now I don't believe that acupuncturists are allowed to practice like dentists at the moment that will be interesting as well the whole warming up of the body and everything like that we share the same belief system and those people who do as well unfortunately I think they'll struggle finding an acupuncturist 
I do really think that it had such a huge part of the success of my treatment. However, let's hope that in the not so distant future that they work out a system of being able to offer that alongside treatment. Because as you know, we've discussed before, the science and the stats and everything around having acupuncture alongside fertility treatment is incredible. But in the meantime, I mean, I, I still was doing things that anyone can do now. I was doing a mindfulness for IVF apps, which really, really helped me. And I played them as I was going into theatre during my acupuncture session and on the way there and on the way back to the actual clinic. So there are things you can do that help calm and sort of nourish the body that don't require someone being in close proximity. But I do hold out that acupuncture will be back into full swing in not so distant future. Do you know, Danny, as I'm listening to you, I'm actually welling up my little eyes. Oh, Simone, don't. Don't you start me just, now. I'm just reflecting. Hormones are raging for me. <laughs> I'm just reflecting on back then. I meet people now and, and they're starting their journeys. And I'm saying, I know it's not great. You don't really want to be talking to me about having treatment because you just thought you'd get pregnant in the conventional way whilst you were having fun with your other half. This is where you are today. But this is not necessarily where you're going to be in a few months or a year or or however long time. And I see them looking at me like, you don't understand. It's not going to be a happy ending for everybody. Uh, So I never want to pretend. But I just, the majority of people, I just want to say that time is wonderful, right? Things do move on. And the people that I meet are going to have treatment and it can work. And I I just want to sow that seed of hope into them. And when you approached your journey, you were just so open to anything, as we know, but you were so willing to try anything. And we know that we don't have research behind a lot of this stuff, but what you had was a complete open mind and open heart and hope open soul you know which was lovely I just wish I could implant that into a lot of the people that I meet looking back in hindsight at the time as you say you're you're in this kind of insular way of thinking you think it's very negative and you're like no it's not going to work and I'm having to put my body through all of this and everything like that but as soon as you change your mindset into something more positive and think, actually, let's be open-minded. What else is out there? What alternative um, forms of medicine and, and practices that I can use alongside this will help me not only physically, but emotionally and mentally? Surely it can only be a benefit. And I think you're right. I think hope is the key word here. It's like clinging on to the hope the entire time. And that's what's so important because things do change, as you say. You know, there's advances in treatment happening all the time, new studies happening all the time, and the rates seem to be doing well in, in, in fertility treatment. And, and I think also it just shows, for me, the word perseverance comes into my mind, like how we just keep persevering as women and men in this arena of infertility and how so much inner strength that you you find and I definitely feel like I'm a different person to when we started out going through fertility treatment and in a really positive way I think it's made me stronger I feel I'm going to be a hopefully a strong mother I feel I'm going to be strong parent I definitely feel my confidence has grown as a consequence from doing this because I feel like actually if I can do this I can do anything and that's how I've tackled pregnancy as I think especially being pregnant in a pandemic which 
obviously it's not high on anyone's to-do list. (laughs) Um, I feel that because I've gone through IVF and I've gone through different rounds of treatment and I've met people and I've been inspired by people I feel like I'm a bit invincible and that's how I've approached my pregnancy it's like well yes there's a lot of negatives to being pregnant in a pandemic but there's also a hell of a lot of positives and I think you just got to keep that in mind and I feel infertility has given me that strength. Danny I never knew from starting the group that I would on a selfish level get so much back because watching you all you know we have one life this is something that you want it's not coming easily and you're going to get it and the support that you've given each other the love that pure love everyone's shown to each other it's honestly second to none I can't say enough (laughs) it's just been so real and what is also great is that not only now that we know that fertility clinics are reopening which is fantastic, but the law for freezing eggs and sperm and embryos, which had a 10-year deadline, has now been extended. There is a lot of positivity going around now, and a lot of women and men are going to benefit. So We could only store for up to 10 years unless it was for oncology, but we can now store for up to 12 years. And it just gives you options in life. It's not 100% guaranteed, but at least it gives some peace of mind so they're not so completely anxious. Totally. And I know from peace of mind that I've got four more embryos stored. They're the siblings right there. Absolutely. (laughs) How amazing is that, though? How amazing. And I love love the numbers, actually. You got pregnant with the first one. And you know I do like to keep it real. Yeah, very lucky. So we know it doesn't work every time. But if we go back to our odds and we're talking about a one in four, I have hope there, Danny. Why is it that they asked you to then carry on injecting for those, say, three months? Why is the 12 weeks such a fragile sort of environment and they just want to kind of get you over to that first hurdle? Having to inject yourself when you know you're pregnant, it's... it's it's a hard thing to get your head around because you feel like you're hurting yourself and you're you know you're not ever hurting the baby because it's it's going into the fat of the stomach but it's a very strange feeling to inject yourself when you're pregnant there are two main reasons why the clinics that say keep taking progesterone say keep taking progesterone so the first reason is because at 12 weeks we know that the placenta is fully developed and prior to that, the progesterone is coming from a different source. In a typical pregnancy, the progesterone would come from the corpus luteum, which is the shell of the egg, basically. But we know that you get higher amounts of progesterone from the placenta. The placenta is fully developed at 12 weeks. At 12 weeks, we know that the chances of miscarriage drop significantly. Just fling everything at it until we get to that point that we know the lady's less likely to have a miscarriage. But in everything I say, I try to keep a bit of an open mind. And we do know that a private clinic is private. They are businesses, ultimately. So although they're, they're providing a service, which is wanted, they are private. And in the UK, we're used to an NHS-backed system. So private clinics need to make enough money to cover a lot of costs. Back to our progesterone, some people say that the reason private clinics whack on the progesterone is to keep people buying the drugs for a longer period of time because they make more money. Ultimately, would you take the risk? And it goes back to that point of saying, I'd, I'd rather take more in 
that won't do me any harm and I'll pee out what I don't use. You know, Danny, what I really want to know from you is what advice you'd give to people who are starting their fertility journey now because you've lived it you've breathed it you've gone through the angst it sounds cheesy it sounds like a cliche but just staying positive it's such a huge part of my mentality going forward through my journey and I think yes obviously there were days when I definitely was not positive and I was very much in a negative frame of mind but changing your mindset just to think right this is not the end. There's always hope. Hope is key. And it's a word that I know we've used before numerous times. It's like there's always something to do or something to try. And there's a huge support system out there if you go and seek it. I could not have done this without the support of you, Simone, without support of my support group. Openness is huge. And I just think you were open. I, I'd, I'd advise everyone to be open You have to be open because there are so many possibilities and avenues you can go down. Being open is just so helpful because you just never know what's going to be around the corner or you never know what test there is or what result you're going to get back. And I think having a plan, not fearing that you might have to veer off at points to different avenues. And I was so incredibly lucky that, you know, I met you, I, I went to the clinic, you know, it did take me a while to find, find somewhere I trusted and find the team that I trusted. And once I found that trust, I just felt safe, I felt supportive and I felt, no, I can, I can do this and I feel that I've got the strength to do this and I have the right support system around me and I know that I'm going to be in good hands. At the start of going to fertility treatment, I found it very hard to talk to people about it. I felt it was this secret that I had that it was very, obviously it's very personal, but I found as soon as I started opening up to friends, then to colleagues later on, and then to you guys, it just helped enormously. And even to family, it took me a long time to tell our family that we were going through this. And I think communication and being willing to talk absolutely key you know Danny I didn't think you were going to come back to that first meeting I knew when I was speaking to you I really feel as if it was 50 50 and there's no way I would have definitely have said that you were going to come back what went through your mind I'm really intrigued when you left (laughs) what what did you think I just trusted my instinct Like, what have I got to lose by being more open? What have I got to lose by talking to people going through it? You know, it just made kind of sense to me. So, yeah, and that's the reason why I came back. And also because of you, because you were so warm and, and you are so warm and caring. And I think you just got me that moment when I needed someone the most. And so that's that's why I came back. I think listening to your gut, I mean, not only for something like that, which is what I did and it was the best decision I made. But I think listening to your gut going through any form of treatment, whether it's fertility or anything, and as you say, advocating for yourself, but also trust, trust in the people that, you know, they're there to help realise your dreams of becoming a parent. Now I've done IVF, I kind of can rule the world. (laughs) Going through fertility treatment has, I think, made me a stronger person, full stop. And as I go into, you know, my maternity leave, you know, I've managed to change our company policy for fertility globally, which has just been amazing. And I hope it helps anyone going through 
fertility, whether a, a male or female within my company going through and having a bit more support from the business. And that's so proud incredible. of you, Danny. Oh, and I think it's just shined a light on this area. And I really do feel that things have changed and the media seems to be sort of picking up more and more about fertility. We're talking about it more. It's not this huge taboo. It really affects so many people, as we well know. The light is being shone on it. And I think that is just so incredibly important. So this is it, Simone. Next time I see you, I'll I'll have a baby in my arms. I know, I cannot wait. And what a ride this has been, this podcast. We've met some incredible people across the spectrum of fertility, from Rian, the nutritionist and fitness expert, to Sophie, the embryologist, and some amazing consultants. We've spoken to some great people, and I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think what our hope is, is that it will help people going through it now and thank you most of all for downloading and streaming the podcast it's been amazing to have you on this journey with us so our mantra remains keep the faith my name is michelle and i am 41 years old at the age of 32 we started trying for a family but it didn't seem to be working naturally so we sought some professional guidance and after our first failed ivf attempt we were told that i would never be able to get pregnant and would have to use an egg donor at the time the news was very hard to process but when i felt ready i started to research different clinics decided on one in Alicante. It was an amazing choice as after one round of IVF using a donor egg, I'm now the proud mum to our little miracle Roman who came into the world six weeks early. At eight months, he is already such a character and one who keeps me on my toes. It was one of the hardest journeys with so many bumps along the way, but I was very lucky to find a group of girls all going through the same journey at different stages, but we were able to support one another. I guess my message is never give up hope. Miracles can and do happen. I wish you all luck. Hi, I'm Gemma. Five years ago, age 30, I was diagnosed with secondary infertility. I already had a little boy who was four and my husband and I were ready to give him a sibling. Little did I know it wouldn't be so easy the second time round. After three failed rounds of IUIs and a failed IVF attempt, I'm so pleased to say that my gorgeous bundle of joy Cooper arrived in March at the beginning of lockdown. Our IVF success came after a lot of soul searching, research into alternative therapies, acupuncture and the amazing emotional support from connecting with a wonderful bunch of women. Luckily for me, our last frozen embryo stuck and Cooper is a gorgeous addition to our family. My name's Sarah. My IVF journey started back in 2015 when I had two tries at IVF at an NHS hospital. These were unsuccessful, so I sought the help of a private clinic where I had another two attempts, so far all with my own eggs. It was then discovered that the embryos were fertilising abnormally each time, so we discussed using donor eggs instead. Surprisingly, I found this an easy decision to make and we flew to a clinic in Alicante in Spain. On our third attempt using donor eggs, I fell pregnant with not one, but two babies. My beautiful twin girls are now 15 weeks old and my heart bursts each time I look at them. This journey would have been far more difficult and a lot lonelier had I not had the love and support from the girls at their support group. Their words of encouragement kept me going and I've finally been blessed with two little miracles. 
Hi, my name's Alison. I started my IVF journey when I was 30, seven years ago. I'm 37, obviously, now. And nearly three weeks ago, I had my beautiful baby girl, Piper. She was four weeks early. I have had 12 starts at IVF. She was my eighth transfer, and she's a little bit of a miracle and amazing. It's been a very long journey, and I've made some absolutely amazing friends. It's been very hard, and I've learned an awful lot but I wouldn't change it for the world because then I wouldn't have my little angel. Hi there, my name's Addie. I am 44 years of age. I started my IVF journey at 42, at the time needing just a sperm donor. After two failed attempts, I then needed an embryo donation. So I traveled to an amazing clinic in Spain where I had two embryos transferred. Luckily, one took, and I now have a beautiful boy by the name of Raphael, who is nine months old, going on three years old, the rate he's growing, and here I am. I have my own baby that I never thought I would have. I feel like I've won the lottery. It was the hardest journey I've ever been on, but I've learned so much, I've grown so much, I appreciate so much more, and thank God, science is the way it is, otherwise I would not have my baby boy. Hi, I'm Danny. I'm 34 years old. I've done three rounds of IUIs, two rounds of invariant induction, one round of IVF, and one frozen embryo transfer. After three long years of treatment, I'm now 38 weeks pregnant and a few weeks from meeting my baby. I kept the faith. <laughs>